This week on It Starts With Attraction. Think about our grandparents' generation. There was two or three people in their high school that they dated or thought were cute, and they got married, and they made a life out of it, and they raised their grandchildren. And now we have swipe, 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 swipe. Oh, you're mm. kind of a good match. Let me go on a date. Oh, your hair color is slightly off than I'm than my dream person. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Like our plethora of choices mm. has not done us any favors. And mm. so we're looking for perfection in an unrealistic way. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. Today, we are joined by Katie Bulmer, and she is a fantastic human. I can already tell you that in our brief conversation that we've had, but she lives not too far from me over in Chattanooga, which is a super fun place. She's married, and she has two daughters. She's the host of her own podcast called Truth For Your 20s, and she has a mission behind everything that she does to really inspire people to become their best, especially people in their 20s who are in that dating realm and trying to figure out their worth and not let their worth be tied up in relationships. Uh, She is an author, a keynote speaker. She speaks a lot to colleges, sororities. She's a TikTok person. So if you're on TikTok, be sure to go and follow her and a big fan of guacamole. Katie, (laughs) welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I had to throw in that part about guacamole, you know. I love it. I could already <laughs> tell when I read your bio, you know, a couple of weeks ago, this girl's going to be fun. She's oh, nice. she's going to have some good things to talk about. Okay, so here's what I want to know. Here's the first question I want to ask you. How did you get started in doing what you're doing? I wish there was a short answer. It's, it was such a clumsy a yeah. <laughs> I mean, in short, I wrote a blog post that turned into an ebook, that turned into an actual book, that turned to a speaking platform, and then a podcast and social media. None of it, I never like sat around and said, oh, I want to speak to sorority girls or, you know, I never like saw it coming or really sought it, but I mm-hmm. believe that God wants us, he wants us to get us to where he wants us to go even more than we do. And so mm-hmm. I kind of found myself there, uh, despite myself, I was actually the very shy kid in school who you know, the teachers asked my mom if I even could speak because like I never did. And now mm. I like hold microphones. So it's all very crazy. But yes, uh, that that's the short of the story. But essentially, I started having coffee dates with I was a um, advisor for sorority. And my husband was a youth pastor the first 10 years of our marriage. So naturally, just kind of taking a little bit younger than me under my wing and wanting to be that big sis adopted mom, whatever. And my passion just hasn't stopped just more and more grew about being who I needed when I was younger. So that is what I do. So you focus a lot and on, on dating. And when people go to your website, katiebolmer.life, which we'll share in the show notes, you can see that you have a lot on there or um, yeah, you can see you have a lot on there about dating, about helping women see their worth. How, why that specifically? Like, how did you get into that wanting to speak truth into a dating aspect of someone's life? Well, I dated my fair share of dirt bags. Mm. That's my <laughs> uh, way to, nice way to say it, I guess you could say. And yeah, just 
I didn't know what I didn't know, obviously. And mm-hmm. I feel like there was so much heartbreak that could have been saved if I was just like, why would you let a guy talk to you that way? Why would you let a guy treat you this way? Just red flags that I whitewashed or um, lies I told myself about dating. And a lot of just blatant things that I would see. Like if I could have coffee with my you know 18-year-old self now, I'd be like, I could shake my little shoulders, give her a hug, first of all, and shake her shoulders. And, and so that's just become my passion, you know, again, to be who I needed when I was younger. But I feel like dating is such a huge, pivotal thing and the decisions we make in our teens and twenties change the trajectory of our life. And, um, you know, I didn't really have a lot of good conversations about that. And I know a lot of young people don't either. And, you know, obviously we have two daughters. I want to have that relationship with, with them as a mom, but I get it. Like sometimes when you're 18, you don't want to talk to your mom about dating and boys and stuff like that. And so I want to be a voice for these girls, um, giving them the advice that hopefully a loving mother would, but I really truly feel passionately about being relatable. And so that's why, you know, I love to do the TikToks and the social media and stuff, because when I heard voices that were probably helpful and probably giving me good advice when I was that age, um, they were boring and they were unrelatable (laughs) and they had bad haircuts and I just didn't care. They might've been the smartest person in the world, but I didn't care. And so I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I darn sure, you know, try to like be communicate in their language, in their heart language, in the language they speak, in the language that I first spoke, you know, hungover and heartbroken and just want to meet them where they are and tell them what I wish I knew when I was in those shoes. Mm. I am sure that we have several listeners knowing the, a lot of the demographics of our listeners, they have adolescents, teenagers, sometimes college students. And uh, maybe some of them, probably most of my my audience is married, but some of them may be back in the dating scene. What is the advice that you would tell a mom or a dad listening to this podcast that they could share with their dating aged child of what they should do or what they shouldn't do? Oh, um, a lot of things are coming to mind. First, as a parent, you know, just tell them that always let them know that their conversation is welcome here. I think that always having those conversations open and like, don't let it be awkward. If they kind of share something, don't freak out or don't, you know, like, Oh my gosh, I got to call someone like take a deep breath if you need to, but let them know that you are a safe place to have these conversations. I think is the first key because they're going to test that. They're going to say a little thing. And if you freak out, they're probably not going to say much else. And then the first thought that came to my mind when you asked that question is, I do online mentoring. And so I have girls all over the place um, call me and usually it's about boys. And the common thread I see is that we are overanalyzing dating. And this is tricky because I talk about having high standards. That's important, obviously. I don't want you like, oh, well, he'll do, you know, like, no, like have high standards, have some non-negotiables. But at the same time, the, the common thing that I see all the time in these phone calls is Okay, so let me let me back up. I see. Think about our grandparents' generation. There was two or three people in their high school that they dated or thought were cute, and they got married and they made a life out of it, and they raised their grandchildren. And now we have swipe, 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 swipe. Oh, you're Mm. kind of a good match. Let me go on a date. Oh, your hair color is slightly off than I'm than my dream person. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Like our plethora of choices Mm. has not done us any favors, and Mm. so we're looking for perfection in an unrealistic way. And so that 
that's what, that's a common thing that I see. And so I want to say have high standards, but also have grace. And there's a balance there. And there's just realistic conversations of, you know, people always joke that the girls I talk to want to date a guy who looks like Ryan Gosling and acts like Jesus. I'm like, well, not going to happen. <laughs> so, and, and you're not perfect either. You know, you are an, an, you're a flawed person who's going to marry a flawed person. And so have grace and don't compromise on your core values. Meet somewhere right there. Yeah, but you're so right. I felt it to my core when you said we're just in this generation now where it's overload of options. And a lot of these options we are basing on just a surface level knowing of someone before really getting to know them as a person. Uh, Really fascinating. Really fascinating. So how did you meet your husband? I met him at church, actually. So I was a pretty, pretty new Christian. And, you know, I'm kind of like, formerly out of this looking for guys at bars, you know, um, mm-hmm. brand new Christian, like, what does this even look like to date with integrity to date uh, a Christian? Like, what, what are the physical boundaries? I, this is a whole new world to me. I felt like I was, it was a different language. And I'm like, well, um, I actually, I went to a bar on a Saturday night and uh, myself and my, my friend, whose also name was Katie, fun fact, we were the only two people not drinking. And she was like, do you want to go to church with me tomorrow? And I'm like, that's, yeah, I'm a new Christian. That, that's probably a good idea. This is Saturday night. Sunday morning. Yes. <laughs> I should do that. So I went to church with her and I was, I sat down expecting a boring old dude. I did a TikTok on this. I'll have to send it to you. <laughs> I sit down expecting a boring old dude and my future husband was filling in that day. He was a youth pastor and he spoke and I was like, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I of course didn't know anything about him, but I thought he was kind of cute. And I kept going back to that church and we got to know each other and we started being running buddies. Actually, he liked to go for runs and I like to go for runs. And we start, we ended up in a small group together and he asked me if I wanted to go running with him. And so for several months, actually, we went running before he finally asked me on a date. Mm. So I'm sure that as you were running, you were talking. Yeah. Getting to know each other, all of those things, not swiping left or right, right but actually getting to know each other. So how, what would you say, um, going back to dating and what, what you said, you had previous relationships before you met your husband that didn't go well when you were dating. What would you say are the things that aren't going well now? Like what are the biggest, is that even a good question? What are the biggest issues that people are experiencing when they're dating? What's leading to all of this heartbreak that a lot of our kids, teenagers are having to deal with? Yeah. I mean, lack of integrity, lack of communication, Mm -hmm. unrealistic expectations, uh, mind reading people, you know, expecting each other just to, you're supposed to get me. I think that like TV and romance movies have like, Oh, the stars are supposed to align and fireworks and all this unrealistic stuff. When, you know, Hollywood, it's funny because we look to examples of movies. Oh, I want this. But when people get together in the boardroom to write a movie, there's no relationship experts on staff. These are just screenwriters making fantasy, making good movies, making great. They're making entertainment. They're not making healthy relationship advice. And so no one really thinks about that, but those are two very unrealistic things. But um, 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I have a lot to say about intimacy. We have um, lowered, we think that sex is no big deal and anyone and everyone just hook up. It's all fun and games. And um, I think that we should actually elevate the way we view sex. It's a very um, fragile, intimate thing that God invented. And it's a, it's a good, it's a good and beautiful thing, but we have um, just lessened the way we look at it and it's become very casual and also leading to heartbreak and leading to attachment that was not supposed to be made leading to more and more um, brokenness. So Mm -hmm. that's it in a nutshell. So can we park here for a minute about sex? Do it. Let's do it. Okay. I started reading a book very beginning of this year, the rise and triumph of the modern self. That's the name of the book. And this got the writer, Carl Truman. I know his last name is Truman. His first name, I think is Carl. He basically goes through the past several centuries and and gives this replay of how we got to where we are today in society with a lot of things, the selfishness of people. I mean, all of it kind of going down. But basically, one of his premises is that we as humanity have been sold the lie that sexual fulfillment is the most important thing in life. And so we are chasing through a lot of different ways, just whatever is going to make us sexually happy in the moment. Hmm. So we've started to see this dissolution of marriage, of intimate relationships, all of these things due to people really just looking for, but I just want to do what makes me happy. And I don't want to have to pay any consequences for it. And when I read about this, I was like, I see it. I think that this guy is right. So what is your take on all of that? Yeah, well, I think that you hit the nail on the head when we talked about selfishness, because if we think about it, intimacy is not selfish. It is a a servant um, act. And and actually research shows that intimacy is greater. If, If that's the truth, then we're we're reaching higher higher sexual satisfaction than the research shows that that is found in a committed long-term healthy relationship or marriage. Um, Actually, they say that couples that have married for 10 years show the highest sexual satisfaction. And so if we were to say, oh, I just need to find another person, I just need to find another person. Mm -hmm. No, you need to build intimacy. And intimacy is not just physical. That is just just saying, well, you're just the skin that you're in. You're just a body. I like to think that we all agree that we are more than just our body. And so um, this word intimacy is that. It is undressed in every form of the word. And I, I know I feel happier and more fulfilled if I am known and fully understood my flaws, my, you know, stretch marks, my good, my bad, my ugly, like all of me, my intellect, my emotions, that, that is true intimacy. And if we think that, oh, I just need to find another body that is so degrading and so untrue and unsatisfying. And so if that's the search, it's a very empty search and you're never going to find it. Um, but what you will find, like you said, is that long committed relationship, which requires vulnerability and requires sacrifice and unselfishness. And that's the work. So it's, it's you know, you can't have one and not the other. And people want to take the shortcuts. We live in the Amazon Prime culture of, I want it, want to click on it and I want it delivered to my door and I want it right away. And that's that's not true. And it's not fair to put that expectation on anyone else either. And unfortunately, an empty search leading to a lot of heartbreak. Hmm. Isn't that the truth? And you know, it's one thing I I think for you and I to be the age that we are, having had the more of the life experience than a lot of these teenagers, 
who I don't know. So I was, I apparently, when did you became a Christian when you were in college? Um, I was 22. Okay. Fascinating. I want to ask about that in a minute. So I grew up preacher's kid, all the things, right? Like sex was not something I was going to do. And I wasn't the rebellious preacher's kid. That was my sister. I was the good, (laughs) the really good preacher's kid, all of those things. And, and so, um, like I, thankfully, both my husband and I, we were virgins when we got married and that's all, that's all we've known. Now the temptation for sure was there previously, but I think I was just more scared of doing the wrong thing than to, to get that sexual fulfillment. But we're now, and I was protected from a lot of things. Like I didn't, I wasn't allowed, my dad had to approve all my clothes. So he, he had to look at my swimsuits, like all of that stuff before I were to go out to the pool with friends or anything. So, uh, but now like we're in a culture where teenagers have, I mean, on Instagram, you can see anything that you want to on TikTok. I'm sure it's quite the same, although I don't have a TikTok. And so these messages are just infiltrated. in the culture that this is normal. This is okay. Like this is what you're actually supposed to do so that you can find the person you're sexually compatible with. And that's how you know who you're supposed to be with. So what would you say to all of that? Yeah. Well, I wrote down normal because that is what we talk about all the time in our house is, oh, we hear everyone. Like if Mm. you look at America at large, everyone in quotes is addicted, depressed, uh, you know, unhappy, unhealthy. Do you want to really want to be like everyone else? So I would say that first of all, but first, but yeah, I get it too. I get it that we are creatures of community and we're made to live in community. And when you see quote everyone, then, then there's that temptation. I mean, talk about who you surround yourself with your people, at least have one or two other core friends who believe the same way you do. You know, we talk about, um, having conversations with your kids, I think it is an ongoing conversation, not just a talk. People are like, oh, did you have your talk with your kids? No, we talk about it every day. Like, mm. you know, you hear something at school. And th- I think that for me, I noticed, and of course, they were younger when we first had started having these conversations. It felt a little bit awkward. But now it's just almost as, as if, what are we having for dinner? It's like, oh, well, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, you heard that in school. Well, here's what that means. And, and this is why that they feel that way, just always having these conversations. So they always feel comfortable and um, being able to talk about that with me. Now, all that being said, does that mean they're going to turn out perfect? No, you know, I don't know. I'm praying for them, of course, covering them with prayer. Um, we do live in a fallen world. I do think though that I don't know that we're any worse. You know, I'm sure there's studies about this, but stuff is glamorized and highlighted on social media for sure. But, you know, I'm doing this Bible in a year and like there was some scandalous stuff that took place in ancient days too. (laughs) And I grew up in the nineties in the days of rump shaker and kilo. And so there was some, (laughs) the world has always been broken and, you know, maybe it takes different forms, but I think it's just continually having conversations telling, you know, this is what we believe as a family and praying and modeling and hoping the best for your children. Mm -hmm. So when did you start having the talks about sex with your two girls? Well, there's a focus on the family book. Um, I can't remember what it's called right now. All about me, I think it is. And, And that started very little, like, you know, this is your body. This is how it's made. This is, you know, God's design. This is how babies are made. So we started very young, just having those conversations because, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that my parents kind of thought, oh, well, she'll just figure it out. And I, my parents were divorced. And so it was mostly on my mom. And so, you know, and she was busy, a single mom and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, you do just figure it out. But MTV and your 17 year old peers are not very good teachers. So mm-hmm. I wanted to be, I'd rather them know early than incorrectly or, um, or from, you know, a, a poor source. So I don't remember the age exactly. Our girls are only less than two years apart. So we kind of pretty much always had those conversations um, together with them. So our younger daughter got it earlier, I guess. Um, but just having those conversations early and early, often, and honest is something that mm-hmm. I heard from someone else that I've kind of lived by. So early, often, and honest. It's just I like that a lot. Yeah. I like that a lot. So what led you to become a Christian? Yeah. Um, I always say that I was looking for love in all the wrong fraternity boys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really, you've heard a million stories of testimonies of people like looking for love in all the wrong places. And I would not have admitted this at the time, but for sure, my quote, wrong places were boys. I just, you know, oh, well, if only I was prettier, if only I was smarter, if only, if only, if only um, they would have stayed or we wouldn't have broke up or we would have stood the test of time. And this kept not working out and kept not working out. And my senior year in college, the guy who I thought was going to be my forever um, didn't work out. And like, there was no plan B. And when you're a senior in college and like the guy you think you're going to live your forever with, that doesn't work out. Like, I, I mean, I was devastated. Like I'm about to graduate. You know, I just got broken up with. My whole world was just crumbled before me. And I had a friend invite me to a Bible study And it's funny because, you know, like I said at the time, I didn't really know any Christians that I would consider cool. And I say that in quotes (laughs) again, but it mattered to me because I, being a Christian sounded like a lovely idea when I was a grandmother. But meanwhile, I was in my twenties and I wanted to have fun and I wanted to be cool and I wanted to date boys. And I just didn't know anyone who was cool, but I'm in this place. I'm broken. Someone invites me to a Greek girls Bible study. I was in a sorority. And I was like, well, I don't have anything else to do on this Thursday night. So I went and I heard the woman at the well story. And I've never related to an ancient character more than this woman at the well, a heartbroken girl who had been broken and divorced and um, broken up with, so to speak, and meets the savior of the world. And fun fact has the longest recorded conversation in scripture with Jesus there, this heartbroken girl whose name isn't even recorded in scripture. And I went home that night and I prayed, God, I don't know what eternal water is. This is John chapter four. He um, he says, I came to give you eternal water so you'll never thirst again. So I prayed that night, God, I don't know what eternal water is, but if it exists, I want a keg of it. Mm. (laughs) So that was my first like party girls prayer and um, truly changed my life from there. It was like, God met me there. I was a heartbroken girl and he was like, I have a plan for you. And so I'm going to (laughs) cry. And did everything change from there? Yeah. So like what? So what changed? Yeah. Um, well, again, it's funny. I remember shortly after that, my roommate slipped a note under my door saying, I see the changes in you and I'm proud of you. But mm-hmm. um, I didn't really feel like it much, but it was just, you know, I would still go to the bar because that's what my friends did, but I didn't drink. I um, Money was a big thing for me automatically. And I totally just accredit God's changes in my life for that. Like I would just, I used to go to the mall and just go shopping just because. And it was just kind of the conviction of, well, why? Like you, you have plenty of clothes, you know, nothing wrong with shopping, but it was just a little change that God was developing in me and starting to see that like, 
oh, like God made me the way he did on purpose. Like, I don't like my nose and I don't like this and I like that, but like, this is all the way he made me and starting to appreciate the way I was created and um, Mm. walking with confidence. And the next guy I dated was my husband. And so just having that, he was such a godly example for me. He was a Christian. He was a good boy, completely unlike the other guys I dated, but having that relationship too, and him leading me uh, biblically and, you know, our relationship with with dignity and respect and stuff. Um, and sex was not even on the table because, you know, we weren't married. And so we just didn't even go there. And um, it was a total 180 in my life, actually, pretty quickly. So from becoming a Christian to getting married was about a year and a half. So it was, it was all very good. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You So you mentioned that previously, like with the boyfriends and and even before becoming a Christian, that you would always think there was something about you that led the relationships to to dissolve. So how did you overcome that self-talk, that mental mindset that you had that was just attacking you and the way that God made you? Yeah, I think that that was definitely gradual. I started hanging out with Christians. Um, I don't want to say better people. That's terrible. Like I have wonderful friends that were, were unchristian, but I started hanging out with people who just challenged me in that way. And, and so funny because it literally felt like I was in a different planet or different, at least a different country or something, because all I knew was this like party girl lifestyle. And I was hard to hang out with Christian friends and they still had fun, which I didn't know. I didn't think that Christians could even spell the word fun. So that was like super exciting. <laughs> I could hang out with Christians and we could have fun and, and having this type of just being modeled, honestly, like they weren't sitting there quoting scripture to me. It were friends who knew their worth. They were friends who loved their bodies. They were friends who um, dated with honor and dignity. And it was all honestly just hanging out with different people that I had never really hung out with before. It really, and I didn't get rid of my, my party girlfriends, you know, some of my greatest friends are still friends to this day. It wasn't like, Oh, you know, I have to step away, but I do think it's important to get that core group of believers, especially, well, all the time really, but especially as a new Christian. And I think that that was definitely the changing for me. Mm, I love that. When you speak about physical fitness, uh, one of the things you say is that it's about more than how you look. It's also about how you feel. So tell us more about that and how yeah. you can help it. That can help us, even us, like not even the teenagers and the adolescents and the college girls, but how does that affect us? Yeah. So that's actually a big part of our story too, because, you know, we met while we were kind of running and stuff like that and then moving and everything. I, a gym was definitely, it became a part of our lives, especially when our babies were little. And it was just kind of like a way to, you know, get a um, social interaction. And um, I became a stay at home mom when our kids were little and being part of a gym community was so important to us. And mm-hmm. um, my husband and I would kind of go to classes together and stuff. And just, again, like, I, I don't think that if you, I never had those pictures of, you know, you hold up the pants, they're like 10 sizes too big. Like this yeah. is me. Like I was always pretty much the same size, but for sure, like you said, how you feel. And so I wasn't going into get cut muscles and um, be a size two or whatever. I was going for community. And I love how you talk about the pies of a relationship. And I, I found that for sure um, having that physical element of our lives bled into all the others as, as these always mm-hmm. things always do, of course. But then I, I had more energy. Um, I definitely had a, some group of friends. So we, um, cha- when we moved, it was a big deal because, you know, oh my gosh, you know, when you move, you don't have any friends, but we automatically got involved in a gym and then you 
just get to have some friends and you go to classes together. And one of the first people I met was a mom of two girls, my girl's age and met her at the gym and she lived really close to us. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so great. So it's just cool how it all kind of runs together. Yes, I, I agree. When last year after, well, no, not last year. Anyway, the timing doesn't matter. I used to work out in our garage gym all the time because we have all the equipment down there and the rogue weight set and and all the things. And um, this year I said, I just want to be around people. Like I need to meet friends. I need to get, especially now that I work from home, I've got to get out of my house some at some point. And so I totally feel what you're saying. I joined this place that uh, is not that far from my house. So I get to walk there every morning. Nice. And there's all these other amazing women. And it's not just for women, but I guess women are just the only ones that want to go work out at 6 a.m. Uh, and so, yes, like it's been and then it's been really good. But another reason it's been good for me is I don't have the best history of friendships with women. Like I just there's been a lot of hurt and betrayal and and things like that. So I'm like, women are dramatic. Like that's, that's kind of (laughs) my negative, my negative thought about it. But a lot of these women have been so encouraging and, and all of the things. And it's just been life giving to be around a community of people like that for sure. Good. Yeah. The gym. Yeah. The gym has been definitely life giving for, for us and our family. So yeah, we love it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get your girls involved? Well, last year they joined the cross country team for the first time. And that was a whole family, like legit. We were kind of doing inventory of the new year and like the good and the bad and things that were, you know, good about our year. And at the same time, Brian and I are like best thing cross country for our family because it got us together for this Mm -hmm. common goal. So over the summer they start training at, um, we live close to a a civil war battlefield. This is huge, beautiful area for running and stuff. And the girl, uh, my husband and I train with the girls and that's, uh, my husband's more of a runner. I'm sorry, a runner. He does half marathons. I'm, um, I'll do a 5k on occasion for a t-shirt, but (laughs) all, all of us are family of four, run together during this season, whether we like it or not, you know, all of us can run for three miles without dying most days. And so (laughs) it's just, a running is not complicated, but it is a mental sport. It is something that anyone can do if they just continue to train. And I think that that our youngest daughter, really, I saw her kind of have an aha moment with it about a month into her training. It was like, mom, this really is a mental sport because it's not fun, especially that first mile to try and push through. But once you get it and you kind of get your stride and get that runner's high, you're like, oh, like this is enjoyable. This is exciting. And then you get to push yourself and run for a common goal and you have a team. And there's a lot of really beautiful things about that. So cross country has been a wonderful thing for our family. And it doesn't hurt that they get to there with a great team with some great kids on their team. And so um, together, it's been a really fun thing for our family. So is it something that you would say keeps you all together when life tries to pull you apart? Yes. So every Sunday, that's kind of our thing. So we'll go to church, come mm-hmm. home, have lunch, and we'll go to the gym together. And it looks different depending on the weather and stuff. Sometimes we'll go outside. Yeah. Sometimes we'll do a little bit on the treadmill. We have an app and we'll do like a little um, a hit training sometimes together. But yeah, yeah, it's something that we do together. And sometimes like my husband will do something a little different and I'll do something different, but we all get together at the end. I, I don't know. It's just, I mean, yeah, there's so many things that you can do as a family or not do and sitting in front of the TV is fine. You know, we can do that sometimes too, but this is, I love it because 
you're, you're overcoming a goal together too. Like, oh, this this hurts. This is hard, but you made it. Oh my gosh, you made a PR. Look how good you did. And there's yeah. so much excitement and celebration and oh, this sucks, but you got this and cheering each other on. And it's yeah. just really, it's a beautiful, um, there's so many <laughs> metaphors, I'm sure within the running world, but it's been really good for our family. That's, I love that. You mentioned that you're on TikTok. So how has, <laughs> she do, for the people listening, she's still a little bit of I'm a dancing. Game. Yeah. So how kind of, how did you want to get involved with that? What are the things that you speak about and how has that impacted your pies, your physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual aspects of yourself? Yeah. So that's been fun. Uh, My background is in marketing. So I worked in TV advertising and print and radio Mm -hmm. advertising. And so I think that it was kind of a natural fit for me. And I love it because it is short form video and it's a way to create simple and powerful truth bombs. I mean, you'd be shocked how much you can get into a 15 second clip. I mean, I showed her a whole testimony about how I met my husband at church and how we got married in a 15 second video. And so it, it's really powerful how much you can you can unpack there. But ha- mm-hmm. how has it changed me? I mean, just through my speaking career, I started in 2020 when I think a lot of people did because we were bored in quarantine mm-hmm. and just started, you know, doing silly mom stuff. And then I started, you know, talking about sororities and speaking and dating and all of that. And I'll have a form on my website, like, how did you hear about me? Um, I would say at least eight out of 10 is through TikTok. And so it's definitely been a very beneficial way for me to market what I'm doing. And also it's just, again, back to the beginning, you know, fun and relatable content. I want to say what I needed when I was younger and it doesn't hurt if it's to a trending rap song. Like it's just fun. (laughs) That's awesome. Do you use more of the text to tell all the things in 15 seconds or do you, yeah, because if you have music in the background, I guess that's how you're Uh, Yeah, it depends. I mean, sometimes I do a voiceover. Sometimes I do the text. Sometimes you can use the audio to say the point that you're trying to make. Um, there was an audio goes, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. And I was pointing to the little things about this is exactly how I feel. Look at you. So, it's fun. I, I cannot comprehend how people make this. I videos. got you, girl. I got you. You got me. I got you. <laughs> I need some help. Eve, I mean, I'm still back on like Instagram reels, which I've just uncracked part of the code for, but I still don't understand how people switch from video to video. I'm like, I'm done. This is too much for me. I'm out. I don't think I can handle this, but I think it's really cool that you do that. Yeah, no, that is super fun. Well, tell our listeners where they can find you. Uh, Tell us more about your podcast, where we can get that. And just so everyone knows, I don't know if she's going to mention this, but in her shop, she has a bag if you have a teenage daughter, this needs to be their next birthday gift. It says, don't date dirt bags. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, that is so funny. That was listener inspired. I always say like, I, te- I tell girls not to date dirt bags. And someone was like, you yeah. should put that on some merch. I was like, I-, I should. That's a great idea. So anyway, yes, I have a bag called I Don't Date Dirt Bags. But you can find me on my website and all of social media. It's just Katie Bulmer Life. I tried to get the .com, but it was taken. So I went with the life on everything. Um, my last name is like Fulmer with a B. So Katie Bulmer Life on Instagram, TikTok, and the internet. Worldwide web. Fantastic. And your podcast is? Oh, my podcast is called Truth for Your 20s. So there I'm just talking. My target market is uh, high school and college girls. And we talk about all the things I wish I knew when I was 20. And um, it's fun. That's grown a lot. That's one of my favorite platforms. So that's really fun. 
so cool. So especially for you listeners who have kids, especially daughters that are in that age range, that's a great thing to share with them as well. Katie, thank you so much for joining. A pleasure and delight talking to you. I love what you're doing and I appreciate what you shared with our audience today. Likewise. Thanks for having me. I have two key takeaways from today's conversation with Katie Bulmer. She was a bundle of joy. I loved speaking with her and the energy that she brings, especially to such a needed space of people that are dating and looking to find their worth in more than just their relationship. So the first key takeaway that I had was when she was talking about having the conversations about sex and about healthy sex and what that looks like with your kids. And she had three things to say about it. She said, start having those conversations early, often, and honestly. I 100% agree. Early, often, and honest. Early, often, and honest. And that is definitely what I am going to be doing and have already started doing even with my own children. Start talking about it age appropriately early because you would rather them learn it from you than someone else. Do it often because they encounter those messages on a daily basis and do it honestly because that is how they will learn to trust you. My second key takeaway from this conversation with Katie is one quote that she said about what happened to her after she heard that story in John 4 of the woman who approached Jesus at the well. And for those of you who maybe don't know that story or are not familiar with the Christian faith, I would still encourage you to just go and read what that story is about by going to Google, typing in John 4, the woman at the well. And it's this amazing story about how Jesus was actually on his way to Galilee, which is kind of where his headquarters was when when he was in uh, the last three years of his life. And he was going back there, and the verse says he had to go through Samaria. The truth of the matter is, he didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, Samaria was a part of the country that the Jews, which Jesus was a Jew, the Jews and the Samaritans had a long-standing fight with each other. They did not like each other at all. They hated each other. In fact, some of the old Jewish writings about how they thought about Samaritans would say things like, I would rather die than touch a spoon that had the spittle of a Samaritan person on it. Like they absolutely hated each other. And geographically, he actually didn't have to go through Samaria from where he was, but there was something that was compelling him, a reason that he needed to be in Samaria. And so he ended there and he ended up at a well. And at the heat of the day at noon, he just sat there. And this woman, the Samaritan woman came to draw water. And it was the heat of the day. This is not the time that women would come to draw water. Women typically would come early in the day before it got hot outside because it gets very hot in Israel, especially in the summer. I can tell you that, although I don't know what time of year this was, but it gets very hot there. And But this woman was coming in the heat of the day probably because she didn't want to be around the other women. And why would she not want to be around the other women? Because this is a woman who has been left five times. Because as the scripture continues on, as the story continues on, the first thing that Jesus says to her, which number one, a Jewish man shouldn't even speak to a a woman, much less a Samaritan woman. That was a complete no-no. 
But the second part, remember what I said about even just touching the spoon that had a spittle of another woman? And now Jesus is asking for this woman to give him a drink. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How in the world could you ask me for a drink? Because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And then Jesus responded to her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for this drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then she replies to him and she says, you don't have anything to draw from. Where are you going to get this living water? And Jesus responds and says and says to her that everyone who drinks this water, this water, this this water out of this well is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them, this eternal water, will never thirst because the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then this is where in the story we begin to understand why this woman was at the well at noon alone, because Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right. The fact that the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And it's in this moment that this woman realizes this man, this man is different. He's treating me with respect. He listens to me. He knows about me. He knows things that other people don't. And he's not even shaming me. Because what Jesus goes on to say is, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, when this this division between the Samaritans and the Jews is going to come down. Jesus says to her, a time is coming when this division between the Jews and the Samaritans is going to go away, and you are going to realize who the true Father is. And the woman says, yes, I realize that there's a Messiah coming in the future. And Jesus says, I am he. Jesus saw this woman, her pain. He saw that she still had value. He was restoring her honor and bringing her out of the shame that she had. He not only respected and loved her enough to speak with her, but he was speaking theology with her. He was giving her the insights of scripture and it changed this woman's life to where she went back into the town and she said, come and see this man that I just met. He told me everything I ever did. And because of her testimony, they believed. And ultimately they said, we actually no longer believe just because of what you said. We went and we saw Jesus ourselves. And now we know that he truly is the savior of the world. And so that's the story that Katie was referring to when she said, I heard that story and I realized that this was a man, this Jesus, he wasn't just from back then, he's for now. And I went back to my room and I prayed, if eternal water is real, I want a keg of it. And I love the way she said it because it so perfectly pictures how we don't have to have everything together in order to approach Jesus and ask for him to meet our needs. And he is good and he is faithful to do just that. Those are my two key takeaways from today's episode. Until next week, stay strong.